Welcome back to the podcast on Binding the Bible. This is episode 155, Those Whom the Lord Protects. And this week on the podcast, I want us to continue our look at the Beatitudes that Jesus lays out for us in Matthew chapter 5, the first 12 verses, which, as we've already looked at, are descriptors of the kinds of people whom God blesses. And in this week's episode, I actually received an email several weeks ago from one of the listeners to the podcast, um, Caitlin, who emails me on a fairly regular basis. I actually knew Caitlin years ago while serving in a church as an associate pastor in Ohio. And Caitlin and her husband, Andy, helped us a lot with our youth group there and with many of the families there. And we've kept in touch over the years. But Caitlin and Andy... Um, are now the parents of a uh, son, David, with um, a lot of special needs. And as Caitlin has messaged me over the years and stayed in touch as a listener of the podcast and just as a good friend of ours, she's oftentimes had a lot of questions regarding her son and his level of understanding regarding spiritual matters and her own experience with the church and how she tends to think certain things and really resonates a lot with what she hears me say on Unbinding the Bible, but we've talked a lot over the years about struggles we've had in the Christian faith as our churches have expressed them and the ways that we have come to think about Jesus and our relationship with him. And Caitlin has been an incredibly deep thinker and incredibly wise Christian in my estimation. And in this email that she sent to me, she was bouncing off several thoughts that she had about the Sermon on the Mount, particularly as they related to her understanding of her relationship with her son David, as well as the way the church often thinks about people who have special needs and some of the ways that the church stumbles or doesn't think clearly about these matters. And when she wrote her thoughts to me, they just resonated deeply with me personally. And so I asked Caitlin's permission to share her thoughts on the podcast and she agreed graciously. So thank you, Caitlin, for that. And I know all of you listeners will be thankful as well that Caitlin has agreed to allow me to read her thoughts because they're very insightful, very humble, very clear in what they present and some of the questions that they pose. And so what I'd like to do on this episode is just read Caitlin's message. It's not too long. And then make some some additional thoughts that I have about her email as we continue to think about the kinds of people that the Lord protects and the kinds of people who are blessed in the kingdom and the kinds of people that the church itself needs to have our eyes and ears attuned to as well as our hearts so that we might get on board with the kinds of people that Jesus is um, on board with. And so that's really what I want to do on this episode. And so without any more of an introduction, let's just get right into it. As I shared in the introduction, what I'm about to read is an email that I received from Caitlin several weeks ago and would like to share it with all of you listeners. I think I've understood the Beatitudes as descriptors of people who are seen by God and protected by Him. My experience is that those who are poor in spirit, mourn, and seek righteousness are those who marvel at what God has done for them and in them and are less likely to seek power. These seem to be words of comfort for those who are unseen by the world 
and the church. God loves the world, but it seems like he has a special care and tenderness toward those who have great need, the widows, orphans, impoverished, oppressed, disabled. Maybe I'm reading into this scripture based on my experience with David, who lived in a hospital bed without family for the first two years of life. He knows God's presence in a way that I wish to know God's presence. Often God makes his presence known to me by being with David. And he is aware of heavenly beings and the spiritual world around him. God has taken care of him in a special way, I am convinced, because of his special need when he had nothing. And my prayer is that I would not remove that from him by teaching him to be independent and self-sufficient. That's the goal for all non-ambulatory disabled kids, as much independence as possible. Because his dependence, his loss, has brought him and me something greater than most can understand. David has changed my understanding of dependence and independence and how our culture's worship of independence is so destructive, even in the medical world where people really are trying to help. It has caused me to wrestle with what helping people really looks like. Is it taking away their need? Is it joining them in their need? How can we faithfully minister to all without removing that sense of beautiful dependence? I keep coming back to the idea that helping people generally causes interdependence by sharing all that I have with them, and in doing so, seeing my dependence on them to know God and see Him day to day. Secondly, Jesus going up on the mountain also seems to echo the passage in Psalms that says, Who can ascend his holy hill? And that Matthew records that he sits down after going up a mountain seems to be a reference to Jesus being God because he has the authority to, one, ascend the hill, and two, sit down as if at rest, also referencing Hebrews there. Thanks for reading. I look forward to your podcast every week as it challenges, convicts, and exhorts me. Caitlin. I hope many of you can tell why I chose to read that email um, on the podcast because Caitlin has touched on so many points, things that I've actually been thinking about for a long time but have never been able to put them into words and really um, the questions that she asks about people who are dependent and what her own son David experiences in his relationship with God because of his dependence. And then she's bringing in the medical community and how independence and, and um, what does she say, self-sufficiency, um, as much of that as possible. Um, and I understand that to an extent. I mean, obviously, when our um, abled children are growing up and learn to tie their shoes, you know, it does make life easier for parents. And yet what Caitlin is introducing is that maybe sometimes in the kingdom, we forget that the primary goal isn't just to be able to have people who are self-sufficient because once again, Jesus is establishing a kingdom, the central part of which is a community. And I remember not long ago talking to my wife on a walk around our neighborhood about this really fine line between having responsibility that you take for yourself and also learning when you've reached your limit and when you need other people involved in your life in order to bring about the good things in life. Like in a marriage, both 
the husband and the wife are responsible for their own needs and yet to be able to rely on one another, to be able to depend upon one another, to be able to count on and to trust one another is something that we utilize the strengths of both and we um, cover over the weaknesses of the other, but not to the point where we allow each other to be irresponsible. Like these are questions that are fascinating to me. Um, Right now in my life, I'm very, very fascinated by um, self-awareness and um, coming to to understand um, attachment styles and how those relate to our understanding of God and what we might do to impose certain thoughts onto him. But what Caitlin is addressing in this email, especially as it relates to her son, are the ways in which he knows God in a way that she only says she wishes she could. And I, and I know Caitlin knows God, and I've talked with her enough to know that, that, that she's not without knowledge. And yet I also believe her when she says that her son knows God and has received God's special tenderness and care in a way that Caitlin herself hasn't. And I would add that I have not either. Most of my life, I've been very capable of handling things um, on my own. I don't do them super well, but um, have not found myself in a position quite like her son. And so I noticed when Caitlin wrote this message, she says, these words, these beatitudes seem to be words of comfort for those who are unseen by the world and the church. And I really like the way that she looked at that um, or the way that she stated that words of comfort for those who are unseen by the world. And I think this is the good news of the kingdom. And yet what Caitlin added here was that they're oftentimes also unseen by the church. And these uh, is really the large portion of my podcast, as all of you know, is is speaking to people who are in Christian settings, who I believe have in part not fully understood the purpose behind why Jesus came or the purpose for which he came. And we can lose sight of that even in churches. And in churches today, um, there are several books coming out talking about celebrity culture um, and and the, the downfalls of that and the seeking after power, which I think Caitlin also referenced when she said that those who are poor in spirit, who mourn and who seek righteousness are those who marvel at what God has done for them and in them and are therefore less likely to seek power. I really like how she stated that because what I have seen and experienced in the church is that oftentimes it's the powerful, the influential, the dynamic, the charismatic leaders who are the ones the church flocks to. Now, I'm not denying that a charismatic and influential leader doesn't appear, at least on the surface, to be someone that God will choose to use mightily. But what I am suggesting is that according to the Beatitudes, the people whom God will use mightily are the Davids of the world, these disabled children who know God in a powerful way, who are poor in spirit, who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are striving to see the world become a place where people see the full truth and they embody it in that way. And yet what I notice as you work your way through the Beatitudes, um, as you get towards the end of the list, you know, poor in spirit was referenced by Caitlin, mourning, the meek, 
those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, uh, merciful, pure in heart, the peacemakers, those who are persecuted for righteousness sake, is that we live in a world that does not value the pursuit of actual righteousness. And we live in a world, sadly, sometimes even our Christian world, that pushes back against calls for justice and righteousness. And I'm in conversation right now with the author of a book that I recently read and loved and have reached out to set up an interview for another by the book. And one of the chapters that we're going to focus our attention on is how Jesus handles power and those in power and systems of power. And one of the conversations that I have been getting into recently is in noticing how when power structures are challenged and Christians are part of those power structures, whether within the church or whether it's part of their partisan political voting block or whether it's their heritage or things that they're proud of from their history, whatever, I've, I've seen quite a bit of uprising toward people who don't like their positions of prominence challenged in any way. And I've seen this and, and am right in the thick of it personally. I mean, I am a white, middle, upper class, conservative, straight male. Like in our world today, that is a very unique, very privileged position to be in. Now, I don't feel guilty about that because I did nothing to make myself white or straight or a male. Um, did I work hard to make myself middle or upper class? N- to be honest with you, no. I mean, I had parents who <laughs> helped me go to college and then from college I was able to get a job and God's work in my own life and transforming me from the inside is what gave me a passion for church ministry and that's basically what I've done with my whole life. So I don't view myself as someone who is above the next person, but when systems of power that advantage white, middle-class, straight men like myself, when those are shown to be powerful systems that don't benefit everyone else and that possibly the systems that have allowed me to get ahead in life, if someone were to show the corruption of those systems, the way I respond to that news is going to tell them a whole lot more about me than uh, maybe I'm willing to see. And that's what I've noticed is that our world as a whole and our Christian world is not always as eager to hunger and thirst for righteousness as, as what we really ought to expect. And so what I see in our world now when Jesus lays out these beatitudes is I don't see them as automatic things that you're going to see present in the church. Like the church should be places where people who hunger and thirst for righteousness, who are striving to see societal justice, that is a Christian principle. That is not something that can be or should be hijacked by the political partisan discussion such that when somebody calls for social justice, certain Christians stand up and object. That, that They should never object to that because in the kingdom, all justice is social. You can't have justice without it radically affecting the way you love your neighbor as yourself. Therefore, 
just because life in a certain way works for some individuals does not mean that they are now exempt from seeking to find ways for justice to suit the needs of every individual. And this is why I love Caitlin's email so much, because what she's done is she's connected the work of Jesus, right? Who can ascend his holy hill? Who is the one with the authority to sit down um, at the right hand of the Father and to be perfectly at rest in the world? Who is the one who dispenses all manner of justice and blessing and peace on the world? And what kinds of people is Jesus dispensing this justice toward? This is really what Jesus is after in the sermon and what he's got to confront are the phony, false righteousness or false humility of religious people who put forward a version of religion and a version of righteousness which suits them, but doesn't actually bless the world. Now, that's a squirrely thing to address. That's an uncomfortable thing to address. But the fact that Jesus spoke so critically of religious people I need you to understand as a listener to the podcast, and I really wish that everybody in the church had this mindset, was to first embrace the fact that we are deeply loved by God, and no matter what he finds in us that's out of line, he's not going to reject us for it. So in that sense, we are free to be as open and as honest with him and with one another as we possibly can be. But what it also tells me is that because Jesus is so eager to correct the corruptions that have creeped in in the name of religion in his day, I cannot believe that we have arrived at a place in our world where similar corruptions aren't given the freedom to find their home perfectly at rest in religious institutions. And so when I talk about Jesus's work, I'm critiquing the church, not because I don't love the church, but because the religious people of Jesus's day were very directly critiqued by Jesus. And I, for one, do not believe that human nature changes all that much over time. Um, I'm not one to believe that just because the Spirit has come and we could be freer to love the way Jesus loved, that that automatically means we do. Um, I, I hope I don't speak harshly when I bring up critiques and things that we need to be mindful of, because I don't think that's the way of Jesus, but I'm not going to be afraid to point out things as Caitlin does, where she says, sometimes these are the people who are known and blessed by God when they are unseen by the world and oftentimes by the church. And this is sad to me. It's sad that the church could find itself in a position where it claims to be proclaiming the words of God and the ways of God to the world, but have managed to overlook the kinds of people that God intends his blessings to fall upon. And you see this happening all around you. Uh, Revelation addressed this as well, when the Lord himself protects those in, in Revelation 18 from the ways of Babylon, where these people were killed or turned into slaves at at. at at Babylon's bidding. And this could have been Roman culture. This could have been American culture. People who, in the name of advancing the Christian religion, are abusing actual people in their real lives. 
and sometimes not in the name of the Christian religion. They're abusing people in the real world and in their real lives. And the Lord says that he stands with those people. Their blood cries out to him and he hears about it. And so what I want to focus in on as we look at the Sermon on the Mount are number one, who are the people who are protected by the Lord? Who are the people who are seen by him? And then to recognize that the call to real righteousness, the call that Jesus is going to lay out, particularly throughout the rest of Matthew chapter 5, but also into Matthew chapter 6, is what it actually looks like to be as eager to root out unrighteousness as God is. You know, I find a lot of times that Christians claim to be eager to stand on righteousness, but many times the Christian church is seen to be more concerned with the righteousness, quote unquote, of those outside the church than they are with the righteousness of those inside the church. And this is one thing that Jesus never does. Never. The words he speaks in the Sermon on the Mount are so convicting and cut so deeply that no one escapes. And I don't mean no one escapes in the sense that what Jesus is offering in the sermon is a big list of here's all these things you could never do, so you're going to need my righteousness in order to do it. I don't believe that's what Jesus is doing in the sermon. He quite literally is holding out hope for a transformed world. And he is inviting his disciples. He is inviting the poor in spirit and those who mourn and those who are meek and who hunger and thirst for righteousness to be among the first to say, I'm willing. I'm willing to let that transformation happen in me. Caitlin is testifying firsthand that that transformation is happening in her son, David, that he experiences God. He sees God. He senses God. He understands spiritual beings and spiritual reality in a way that she only wishes she could. David in the kingdom is our instructor. He's a guide. He's not some person that we put up with because he might be a challenge or he might be difficult to, to um, take care of in a way that is satisfactory. Rather, David becomes the means by which we see God, by which we come to understand the heart of God, by which we see God's kingdom activity at work, not just in the world in general, but in our lives in particular. And this is what the sermon is about. Jesus is inviting us, as he will later, he'll, he'll compare throughout Matthew chapter 5, six different times. He'll compare things that the Old Testament said, namely some of the Ten Commandments and some from several other portions of the Old Testament, where Israel felt that if they kept those commands in a literalistic wooden type of way, then they were being righteous. And Jesus will cut underneath the surface and will expose as it relates to idolatry and lust, as it relates to murder and anger, as it relates to revenge and getting even, the kinds of things that consume the lives of most people, and yet we have figured out how to keep them hidden from others. Jesus is about to expose if we want real righteousness in the world, if we truly are hungering and thirsting for real righteousness, and we don't yet see it at work, then we will be willing to go wherever Jesus goes to uncover the unrighteousness, repent of it, have it cleansed from our lives, and have him produce real righteousness in and through us. That's a big section 
of what I think the Sermon on the Mount is all about. And that's what I'm really excited for us to get into in the weeks and the months to come. And so that's all the time I have for this week. Um, again, Caitlin, thank you. Your email prompted the topic and the theme for this entire week's episode. And I am very grateful for your permission to read it. Thank you for your love and your care for your son. Thank you for your humility and even sharing and being willing to let the rest of the listeners hear your thoughts um, and even the questions you raise, which I know we didn't talk a lot about here. And that is, how do you really help? And do you enter into the into the hurt with others? Do you try to alleviate it? I really do think this is where we need the Spirit um, more than ever because those are questions that don't have simple answers and very possibly could vary from situation to situation depending upon what's at work there. And I really do think that's one of the main reasons we've been given the Spirit is that is so that we can know how to navigate specifically for the needs of the moment, how it will best benefit those who are involved, and how we can be used by God to truly, truly bless people and receive blessing ourselves in the process. And so I am thankful for you listeners. It's good to be back on Unbinding the Bible with the new year. I hope you all had a great Christmas time, a great new year celebrating with family and friends. For those who experienced um, difficulty during these last couple of weeks because of the loss of family, or the loss of a church family that you're no longer a part of, just know that I am I'm hurting with you. I'm sorry for that. I know times like these can be very happy. They can also be really discouraging. And so if you need a, a listening ear, I will not read what you write to me on the podcast unless it's something fitting and I have your permission, but please feel free to reach out. I'm happy to pray for any and all of you for whatever you're going through. And um, again, just encouraged by the, the interaction that we can have online and through email and Instagram and, and whatever else we happen to do. So thanks so much for tuning in this week. That's all. Until next time, have a great week. You've been listening to Unbinding the Bible. If you find these episodes valuable and you haven't already done so, please leave a rating or review or both on whatever podcast app you choose to listen to these episodes. And then go and share one or more of your favorite episodes with a friend. You can also reach out to Joshua with any comments or questions to unbindingthebible at gmail.com. Thanks for listening and have a great week.